for me, it's about balance. So I do like to include asana, physical movement into my yoga practice. I like to build energy. I feel that emotions need motion. And so if I'm feeling frustrated or anxious, sometimes the best thing for me is not to just find stillness. Sometimes I need to move. Sometimes I need to shift that energy, direct that energy into something where I'm gonna sweat and where I'm gonna like meet my edge and where I can push myself and then come back to the rest. You know, it's about balance and making sure that we're doing everything in moderation. I just encourage everybody to like pay attention to the signals in your life that indicate that your gas tank is running low. You know, so that could look like feeling depressed or not wanting to do things that, you know, you normally take interest in. That could be being fatigued. That could be poor sleep hygiene. Um, if we pay attention to our bodies, it they will give us the messages that we need so that we know the next best thing to do for ourselves. We are not telling you to quit your job. Here at Off The Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneurs Podcast, we are teaching you exactly how to gain your freedom as a healthcare professional in places that school never taught you. This is OTC University and class is in session. Welcome to another edition of Off the Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneur Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Mr. Carl Bourne Jr., and I'm joined by my main man, Mr. Paulo Ching. Paulo, say what's up to the people. What up, what up to everybody in listener land and y'all YouTube folk. I'm glad to be here. Hello. I love it. Short and sweet. So, don't start. So, without further ado, y'all know we love to bring you, <laughs> y'all know we love to bring you special guests. Oh, man, this week is no exception. I'm very, very excited for this episode. I'm ready to get in tune with my inner self. So I'm, I'm ready for the fire that you're about to drop on us and our listeners. Um, but without further ado, I want to go ahead and introduce Mr. Kari Brown, who is also the founder of Courageous Yoga. So Mr. Kari, thank you so much for joining us. How are you feeling? Talk to us. <laughs> Thank you both for having me. I'm doing well today, feeling grounded. I'm a little nervous about the interview, but you guys have completely made me feel at home and relaxed, and I feel ready to go. Glad to be here. Perfect, perfect. Well, thank you for joining us. So <laughs> without further ado, let's just, let's go ahead. Let's let's dive right into it because we like to be respectful of your time. Um, So just right off the bat, how did you or why did you choose to pursue nursing? And then from that, how did Courageous Face Yoga come into play as well? Uh, so funny story, I actually wanted to be a physical therapist. And um, I, was <laughs> I was enrolled in the physical therapy program at my school. And at the time it was a bachelor's degree program. I know I'm probably aging myself a little bit. And about halfway through the program, it shifted to master's only. And I just, as an 18-year-old, like, I just hadn't even given any thought to, like, another degree. So I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to hop off the physical therapy train for now. And my initial bachelor's degree is in exercise science. So I still wanted to work with the body 
and to work with folks who were athletic and focused on mobility and strength. And so I continued along that path. Um, got my degree in exercise science, started working as a trainer, worked at camps, did some ad admin stuff here and there. Um, and along the way, I started volunteering with Habitat for Humanity International. And um, my very first global village trip with Habitat was to Ghana. And I was beyond excited. Like I had my bags packed before it was any even time to go. And our overall mission there was to go in and build homes for families um, in need of adequate housing. And I was, I thought in my mind, I was pretty much prepared for anything that this experience was going to bring me. And one day, you know, we're like moving blocks and digging trenches and doing all the physical things I had like prepared myself to do. And I saw a young boy off in the distance and he was screaming and crying and he was clearly in distress. And I had no idea what was wrong. And he spoke a language that I didn't understand. And so I couldn't say what happened. And as he approached me, I saw that his hand was bleeding and kind of gushing. And it was apparent that something had either bitten him or gotten a hold of him. And, you know, again, I can't ask what happened. I can't ask, you know, do you have any allergies? I can't ask any of the things that you are like, we're trained to ask in like a healthcare or uh, wellness kind of a setting. So I grabbed the little first aid, first aid kit that we had. And as best as I could, just with a human compassion, a human connection, offered the service that I could based on the resources that I had. And I realized at that time that I not only was witnessing somebody with a tra having a traumatic experience, I had very close proximity to it. Like, even though I wasn't the one that was bitten, I recognized, like, I'm feeling something in my body. I'm scared. I'm anxious. I'm worried for him. And realizing that not only if you have a traumatic experience, but also your proximity to it really can impact how you feel both emotionally, physically, mentally, all of that. And so in that moment, I was like, I'm done with the personal training. I want to be a nurse. So I um, focused on uh, working as a nurse, and I focused on pediatrics, and I focused on emergency care. All of that from that single experience that I had in Ghana. And it really uh, shifted the trajectory of the work that I'm now clear I've been called to do. And so um, as I continued to work in the emergency room, you know, kids would obviously come in with like broken bones from falls or high fevers and, and things like that. But what I started to realize is that um, as these kids were coming in with physical needs, they were also coming in with experiences of parental separation experiences of incarcerated parents, experiences of neglect. And another, I had another like light bulb moment that like not all trauma is visible, you know? So I, I can't, I don't know looking at you or either of you, what your experiences have been or what you've been through or what traumas you may have either experienced or witnessed. But I do understand that it, that should be considered with every interaction. Right, so not making any assumptions, not being overly familiar, and not um, assuming that I know what's best for you based on the way I'm perceiving you, right? And so I just feel like all of the, the chips kept falling in line around like trauma awareness, trauma-informed care, um, and it really um, has been a driving force behind my work as a nurse. 
and I um, recently got my master's, so I am preparing to sit for my certification to be a pediatric nurse practitioner. <laughs> um, and I'm excited about that. And um, But to just take a step back, while I was getting my master's, I realized that um, my time in the emergency room had really kind of impacted me in ways that I hadn't unpacked. You know, witnessing up close loss, grief, pain, fear, um, and having to be a resource for folks during some of their most difficult and desperate times really um, was impacting me in ways that I hadn't actually acknowledged because I never gave myself the space to do so, right? And so um, yoga came to me uh, at a time in my life where I was feeling really disconnected, um, where I was, I realized that I had been stuffing down things that I needed to like pull to the forefront. And through my yoga teacher training, um, I developed a sense of courage. I recognized that it takes courage to show up in the face of fear and grief and loss again and again. And it takes courage to stand up and speak up for yourself. But then equally challenging is the courage that it takes to like stop and pause and be still and listen. And so just a combination of my own personal work and the work that I have been doing for others, communities and families in need, really led to the, the birth of what I've come to call Courageous Space Yoga. I wanna highlight a few things. First of all, shout out to all the nurses, um, the underrated champions of healthcare. Shout out to all the nurses and especially the pediatric nurses. I don't know how y'all do it. You know, like y'all got to deal with just not only with somebody that's not well, but somebody that might not be able to explain it to you at a more intricate level um, versus like an adult. I mean, some adults still can't explain what's going on. But anyway, <laughs> right. shout out to all the nurses. Um, you hit a few points that I think, you know, uh, highlight and then um, they definitely speak to what what's prevalent for a lot of like healthcare workers and especially healthcare entrepreneurs, right? Um, first, you did mention, you know, trauma isn't something that just happens on the out outside. It's not something that just occurs like when you get a cut, you get in an accident, all these things, right? Um, trauma, unfortunately, especially for black men, um, happens internally. And, and a lot of that is definitely suppressed and and put to the back burner because of certain things that we tell ourselves, right? So I definitely want to talk about that a little bit. And then I want to follow it up with um, the fact that, you know, you realize as, as you're going on, you, you realize it took courage to pause, right? I think, you know, especially for way too many professionals um, here in the States, um, there's this like culture of like working yourself to the bone. Um, and then that being the pride point because you you've like exhausted yourself and and um done everything you could right I, and i just say this knowing that somebody out there is gonna like you know persecute me for saying it but i don't care <laughs> you know, i believe taking naps i believe going to sleep early that's just me um and we still get it done but i i i just want to kind of hit you know one just how to address that trauma because for a lot of people i think that might be like the the big thing that holds them back from reaching the highest potential, right? Just the fact that they don't even understand how to address their trauma. 
I think so many of us are aware that it exists. We don't know what to do with it. It's just like this thing happened in my life. And so I'm just pushing there because it happened in everybody's mm-hmm. life. And then two, let's talk a little bit about like the courage to pause, the courage to take a moment and breathe, right? Self-care is so big, big, big right now. You know, the, the courage to just say, you know, today is going to be all about just taking care of me and, and my mental health and even my physical health by doing absolutely nothing sometimes or <laughs> something I just recently discovered, massages, phenomenal, right? Or yoga, Let's talk about that too. So kind of, kind of hit us a little bit, you know, let's start with the very first thing with just like, you know, how do you even address that kind of trauma? Cause this is what people actually need to hear right now. Um, well, you asked a lot of great questions and um, I think it's important to really acknowledge um, that, you know, I don't want to generalize, but I feel like it's safe to say that trauma is a universal language. Not that every, I can't speak for everybody, so I don't want to say 100% of people have experienced trauma, but I think it's safe to say that if you haven't experienced direct trauma, you either witnessed it or you know somebody who has. And so it's something that impacts us all, regardless of our proximity to it. And I think it's also important to name, like you said, you know, trauma is not always like the obvious visible wound. Um, Trauma is experiencing or living through domestic violence incarceration, you know, um, neglect, whether it be physical or emotional. And then we have trauma that impacts our community, like poverty and racism, community violence, lack of educational and economic opportunities, like that's trauma. It's real. It's something that lands in our body and it's something that, that impacts us, whether we realize it or not, whether we name it or not. And then last, but certainly not least, um, our collective or generational trauma. You know, and sometimes I think we are, maybe not so much in recent days or months, but, you know, we're not so quick to, to, to say slavery is a part of our collective and historical and generational trauma. Mass incarceration, you know, the prison industrial complex, forced displacement. This is trauma that we all either have experienced, witnessed, or have proximity to. And so it's important, I think, first and foremost, to be willing to to see it, to name it, and to not deflect. So, you know, it's easy to be like, oh, no, that's not me, that's them, (laughs) you know, Um, which then makes it more challenging for you to center your wellness because you think that's not me, that's everybody else, right? And so I also really, I I, I told you before we um, started recording that I actually took some notes and I'll just read something that I wrote because it's so spot on with something that you said, Paul. So I told you that yoga came to me at a time in my life when I was feeling disconnected. I was finding myself feeling worried or anxious, doubtful, working myself to exhaustion and going until I had nothing left to give. That was how I defined my worth and my value by what I could do or achieve or produce or accomplish. And underneath all of that, I realized was fear. Fear of not being enough, fear of not having enough, fear of not doing enough, because we've been conditioned in this culture to tie our value to our productivity, right? And so for me, that was the motivation to just keep going and going and doing and doing degree after degree after accomplishment after accomplishment. And boy, I'm exhausted and I am not happy and actually feeling a little broken 
despite all the accolades, right? And so part of what uh, we do in Courageous Space Yoga is we practice um, making space that cultivates courage and liberation. And I fully believe that one of our practices is restorative yoga. And it is a ritual that we can lean into as a form of resistance, right? So as you said, you take a nap, you pause, you do absolutely nothing. I mean, it doesn't have to be some elaborate, you go off to the mountains and spend 15 days. Or I mean, you know, it could be like just sitting on your couch <laughs> for a day or a weekend and doing whatever you want because that's what brings peace and ease to your mind. You know, um, being still, being quiet, um, and spending time with ourselves creates a particular level of vulnerability that I don't think we're always willing to lean into. But it's in those moments of stillness, it's in those moments of quiet that we're able to actually tap into and listen to and hear what our body has to say, what our heart has to say, um, what's on our, what our mood is. Like sometimes you don't even know how you feel until you stop. You know, especially um, in a moment like this where there's constantly so much coming at us, this information overload. You pick up your phone, it's just like, it's a lot, right? And so somewhere, sometimes there's nowhere for that to go, but like tucked away, like we already said. It's, we're absorbing it, like we're reading it, we're taking all of this in, and it overwhelms our nervous system, right? And so we're tapping into that like fight or flight. And it may not always be as obvious as, um, you know, your heart racing or sweating. It could be anxiety. It could be restlessness. It could be having a difficult time concentrating. It could be a difficult time being still when you have time to be still because we're constantly on go mode and we're, we're just overstimulated. And so part of what I really encourage is pausing, is leaning into rest as a form of resistance to say my product, my worth is not tied to how much I do. And even when I'm not doing anything, there's still something happening, right? Even when I'm resting on a cellular level, there, there are shifts and change. There is healing there, and restoration um, when I allow myself to be still. And so, you know, to your point, take that nap, brother, <laughs> you know? Take the rest when you feel you need it and seek out self-care practices that allow you to do whatever you need to feel well. But I think it's really important to highlight that it's important to take that time. I think that one, it's, it's phenomenal that you were able to break down trauma into, you know, those different subcomponents because I think a lot of times it's very easy for us to try and associate that with just one specific thing. And there's so much that makes trauma up. So I'm, I'm glad that you, you brought that up because I think even being able to have that honest conversation with yourself and, you know, as you so elegantly said, not deflecting, is very imperative to be able to, you know, overcome whatever trauma it is that you're battling. And so, um, just kind of thinking a little bit about what you said in regards to the restorative yoga, which I had never heard that term before you just said that. So I'm already, we're already learning. Look at that. Um, but seriously, I, I think that I kind of want to harp a little bit more on that aspect of it because when I'm, as I'm sitting here thinking about that, I'm thinking about the ability to 
you know, like really get in tune with yourself and really, you know, nourish yourself before you, you go and take care of whatever task it is that you do. And I think for a lot of listeners, you know, a lot of, a lot of our listeners, whether they're students, healthcare professionals, or entrepreneurs, I think it's very easy to get caught up in the hustle and bustle of everyday life. And when we do that, we, it's very easy to neglect how we're feeling. And so the question that I have for you is from a standpoint of, you know, being able to go into the world of yoga when you, when you first started and being able to kind of go on that journey of like self-discovery, how were you able to find that balance to still give yourself that nourishment and that restorative yoga piece, but also come out of that and not allow it to be something that caused you to be sluggish or caused you to not work at an efficient level like you needed to be? I like to use the analogy of a car, right? And so you drive a car, you put gas in your car, and it gets you from point A to point B. And say you're taking a drive and you're going, you're wide open on the highway and your gas light comes on. You have some choices you can make. You can say, mm, I think I've got a few more miles to go and I'll just keep driving. I'm going to wait till the next exit. I'm going to get off there. Or you could say, I don't want to risk it. I'm getting off right now so I don't have any problems. Better to be safe than sorry. Or you could say, mm, I think my gas light's on. I see it, but I'm busy doing other things. I got to find where I'm going. I need to look at the map. I'll come back to it. And then you realize you've run out of gas before you actually like got off to, to like fill up, right? And so I like to use that analogy because if we think about our bodies as the vehicle to get us from point A to point B in this journey, we know that we cannot drive our cars. We can't use our bodies on an empty tank, right? We have to pull over. We have to fill up. Or, I mean, sometimes you only got a few bucks in your pocket. You get half a tank. But we already know how far that's going to get you. You know at some point, probably sooner than later, you're going to have to pull over again and get more gas. And so I just like to, I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't continually get in your car and drive it until the, you ran out of gas and then, like, have to, like, flag down help or walk to the next service station. You know, like, so I think I'm painting a clear picture that you need rest. You need fuel, you need self-care, whatever that looks like for you in order to help you continue on the journey. It's easy to get caught up in the hustle and bustle. We all have things we want to excel in. We all have goals. We all have things we want to accomplish. We all know that we can't get there if we have nothing to give, right? And so, um, you know, when we first started talking, you're like, I can't do yoga, yoga is hard. But <laughs> I didn't say any names, so you don't know which of the two said it. But, <laughs> um, you know, I think just the acknowledgement that you need fuel is where the practice begins. It's not necessarily a back bend or a headstand. It's coming to your mat or wherever you're choosing to tap into yourself with a, an awareness of 
wanting to, to pause, wanting to take a deeper dive, wanting to be still, wanting to put some gas in the tank, you know? And so again, it can take any form. It doesn't have to be yoga, but specifically because you said that you had never heard the term restorative yoga before, it's a technique, uh, a, a practice, a form of yoga that I learned during my yoga teacher training at Sacred Chill West here in Atlanta. Um, and we really prioritize rest. You know, of course, throughout the, the course of the training, we learned the postures, some more difficult than others. We learned sequencing and we learned alignment and the things that you would need if you were looking to get into what some people would consider a more difficult pose. I like the challenge that sitting down with your eyes closed and your legs crossed can be more difficult for somebody than a headstand. <laughs> so it just depends on where you are in your personal journey. Um, but restorative yoga is a practice that allows you to uh, rest. And so we use lots and lots of props to support ourselves and to encourage supreme and ultimate comfort and create space that allows us to let go, to let the props hold us up so that we don't have to hold ourselves up. That allows us to let go and relax because we've been holding, likely holding and gripping and pulling and fighting all day long. And sometimes it's not until you say, this is my time to rest, this is my time to pause. Sometimes it's not until that moment that you actually get a, a chance to, to breathe, right? For me, it's about balance. So I do like to include asana, physical movement into my yoga practice. I like to build energy. I feel that emotions need motion. And so if I'm feeling frustrated or anxious, sometimes the best thing for me is not to just find stillness. Sometimes I need to move. Sometimes I need to shift that energy, direct that energy into something where I'm going to sweat and where I'm going to like meet my edge and where I can push myself and then come back to the rest. You know, it's about balance and making sure that we're doing everything in moderation. I just encourage everybody to like pay attention to the signals in your life that indicate that your gas tank is running low. You know, so that could look like feeling depressed or not wanting to do things that, you know, you normally take interest in. That could be being fatigued. That could be poor sleep hygiene. Um, if we pay attention to our bodies, it, they will give us the messages that we need so that we know the next best thing to do for ourselves. Yeah, um, you just hit us a lot of gems, first of all. Uh, I do have to, you know, first of all, I'm coming front. I'm the one that said yoga's hard in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> um, but two, I think the way, you know, you hit the point that your body usually gives you signs prior to you actually maybe going through, we're, we're going to call it a, episode a moment something right mm -hmm. even to the point you know you mentioned like i know i've noticed it lately um where i i had to implement a rule where i can't look at my phone well you know i wake up i do my devotion now whatever after that but then i'm like i'm not texting anybody back really until like seven in the morning right because i understand like from the moment i wake up to like seven i need to do something not usually for me you know it's like i just got into the porch I drink some tea. Once in a while, I'll break that rule 
text Carl back or something like that. <laughs> my girlfriend. But um, you know, that's when things are pressing. But <laughs> for the most part, you know, it's like I've realized just because every time I look at my phone, I almost feel like it's a lot coming. Now I know um that tends to show itself in different ways for me and for Carl, you know, I think like now like looking at her phone has become more about like business than anything. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, maybe I'm on social media a lot, but I promise you it's like business related. Um, I'm trying to mark, I'm trying to do a ton of stuff, but it does get overwhelming. It does get to be too much. Cause then it's like, every time I pick up my phone, it's almost like I've connected, like, yo, my phone's ringing some business thing. Um, you know, I got to pick up my phone. Like I got to go do something like, and it's almost kind of ruined that experience. So like, you know, I love that you mentioned, like, sometimes it's not sitting still, right? I usually do things where I'll do like, how would I call it? Where I'll leave my phone at home and I'll go walk like five miles, right? Where I just- Unplugging. Know, unplugging. There we go. See, <laughs> yo, she got a master's, yo. Um, <laughs> unplugging, right? Where I'll just go do a quick five because I know like I just need that moment. And I think, you know, that does show itself in various forms. Different people um, have different ways to go about that and find that. You know, so I love that you did talk about that a little bit. Um, let's transition a little bit into a more, you know, day-to-day thing of how you start your practice, what it's like running it, because I do think if there's somebody out there in listener land, and I'm just going to call it YouTube world. Um, if there's somebody <laughs> out there in listener land and YouTube world that, that's watching and listening, right? And they're thinking, you know what, I would love to get into something like that. But clearly, they don't know how to do that, right? So kind of walk us through the steps, you know, um, to get to where you are today with, with your stuff. Like, um, I'm sorry, I apologize for calling it stuff business. Let's be, (laughs) you know, with your business, um, what did it take? What are the things that you had to do? Like what are obstacles that presented themselves that, you know, maybe people won't know, um, are coming and they can kind of get a heads up now, um, just to be able to do what it is that you are doing. Oh, well, I think for starters, I will say that, um, I had to really, be self-aware, and I had to have a deep commitment to my own personal practice. Um, And I will always come back to my yoga teacher training. Um, One of my teachers, Octavia Rahim, has always said that you can't teach what you don't practice, right? And so I can't be true to the practice of yoga. I can't be true to myself or to anybody who looks at me or considers me to be a teacher if I'm not actually committing to my own practice. And so that for me is where the work really begins. And it doesn't mean that like I'm some super yogi where I practice several times a day and I never miss a practice. You know, like it's, it's the practice. It's the intention. It's working through my discipline. It's realizing where resistance pops up, realizing where challenges pop up, and then working to adjust to meet those. So it's not, it's not perfection, it's practice, right? But, but being dedicated to it is where I really start. I will say that it's a relatively new business. So I think that I've been um, moving with Courageous Space Yoga, like named, for about six months now. And it was a really interesting time to to get started. I was a part of a mentor program, and um, we were encouraged to kind of iron out our vision and to set a deadline for when we wanted to roll it out. It was a beautiful experience. It was really the push that I needed to get this like out of my head and out of my heart and like into the world. And so I did the thing. I booked the yoga space. I um, worked 
in partnership with a local um, therapist, a black woman, to offer the practice to some of her clients because I wanted to use the yoga as an extension of uh, talk therapy, if you will. We set dates and we were ready to roll. We started in March. We had a practice, it was beautiful. And by the next week, yoga studios were shutting down and we were all being forced to uh, quarantine. And so just like that, this thing that I had been working on for months and been planning on for months, in my mind, it felt like it fell apart. And I didn't know what to do. Um, the virtual space was all really new to me. So it, it didn't feel authentic or organic to just like move it to Zoom at the time. And so I paused. And so one thing I will offer is that um, if and when you experience setbacks or challenges, to not be afraid to pause. Like, right. So I think that without the, the practice and without this type of discipline that I had come to know, I would have just been like, okay, I gotta, I gotta do something. I gotta come up with something. I, you know, I would have just probably like rushed off into something that wouldn't have served me. And so I gave myself space. I was gracious with myself enough to say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the next best step is in this moment. And so I gave myself space and time to figure it out and to do what felt good. Of course, I re it was a, a series. So people who had signed up had booked for four weeks. And so at the time, I just reached out to all of the participants. I said, you know, in light of everything that's happening, of course, the yoga studio has closed. We're all quarantining. We're going to pause and do what's best and what's safest for everyone. And I will definitely touch base with you when it feels like the right time to pick back up. And everybody responded really beautifully to that. We actually picked back up again in June. We rolled through the four weeks. And what I was willing to do for the participants was um, start from the beginning. So it wasn't like, hey, we already had one class, so now we only have three. I acknowledged that what we had began had gotten interrupted. And so it felt like the appropriate thing to do to start over. So I didn't prioritize profit at that point. It wasn't like, well, if we're starting over, you need to give me X, Y, and Z more dollars. You know, I'm just like, I'm honoring what I committed to and what you signed up for. And so I rolled with that. We started practicing um, in a local park, so one that was only about two miles from the studio where we were originally going to be gathering because I wanted to honor people's um, proximity to where they had already agreed to meet. And I anchored it in this understanding that we have a right to healing, we have a right to wellness, and we're going to do it right here in the middle of this park, publicly, proudly, unapologetically, we are here. Our group was, was all Black women, Indigenous women, and women of color. And so I think that it landed at a particularly powerful time because, you know, we've been dealing with so much around police brutality and senseless killing of Black people and trans people. The list goes on and on, immigration, everything. I think it was really powerful to be able to say, we are prioritizing our wellness. We don't care who sees. We set up right in the whitest neighborhood I could find, <laughs> where I felt safe, of course, I prioritized our safety. But, you know, a bunch of black and brown folks saying, we, we need healing. And we're going to do it right here, where we have access to all the things that we need to see it through. And so um, another thing that I would just offer to anyone who finds themselves in a predicament where things may not be unrolling the way you had planned, 
is just to be willing to what be willing to be open to like what you can learn and what you can use in the new setup, like in what the new normal is, right? Because I could have easily been like, well, the yoga studios are closed. There's nowhere else for us to go. I'm just going to refund everybody their money and I'll figure something else out. But I wanted to really use what resources we had and I wanted to be creative about it. And so we were able to do that. Um, and so I just encourage folks to stay open. The likelihood that things are going to go exactly the way you have them planned out is slim to none. So be open to roll with that and recognize it as the potential blessing that it really could be. Because it doesn't have to be bad just because it's not what you originally envisioned. So for, for anyone who's listening to this and, you know, they, they're not well-versed in yoga, maybe, maybe they're just starting off, actually, you know, and for them... Because I, I the, the reason the reason I want to go into this question is because I feel like there can be a very distorted perspective or view on on what yoga should and shouldn't incorporate. And I think a lot of times whenever, you know, we think of yoga, we think, okay, like I need to have a mat, you know, or I need to be outside or I need to be doing this, or if I'm inside, I need to have candles, I need to, you know, like and and so my question to you is for anyone who, one, is listening to this and they want to start getting into the practice of yoga, and then for two people who are beginners and are, you know, trying to find themselves and, and find out what they should be doing, what would you recommend in terms of, uh, in terms of a setting, in terms of props, instead of things, in, like, in terms of things like that? Do you believe there is a, uh, I guess, certain props you should have versus shouldn't have and what would you say just in terms of practical ways to be able to start doing yoga in a way that's effective for you um well i think that number one it's important to name that yoga is for everybody so i know that this is a podcast and so you can't see me but i'll start by saying i am a black woman and I lead with that because when people, particularly people of color, from my experience, hear the word yoga or think of yoga, a particular type of person comes to mind, and it's probably not me, and it's probably not them, right? So I always like to lead with the understanding that yoga is a practice for, for everybody. Um, yoga should be accessible. So um, the practice should meet you where you are. Uh, one of my certifications is an accessible yoga, and it's for folks who um, are not in typical body, uh, because it's important to recognize that the practice is not, it's beyond, like I've already mentioned a few times, the things that people typically think of when they think yoga, the more difficult things, the impossible poses, and you know, like the yoga porn that we have become accustomed to seeing. It really is about connecting um, and making the connection between the heart, the mind, and um, the body. And so I like to start there because it's not about all of the things. And sometimes it can be easy for us to say, oh, that's not for me because I don't have this, or that's not for me because I don't look like that, or 
you know, I don't, I can't go to a yoga studio or I don't have all the props. You don't need anything but yourself and the intention to connect with your, your, your high itself. However, if you are looking to purchase things, I would recommend starting off with just, just the basics, a yoga mat. And you can use like a blanket or a towel, but I recommend a yoga mat because it has some traction. It will keep you from slipping and sliding around um, in ways that maybe a towel or a blanket can't. And so I recommend that just for safety purposes. But you know, if you don't have a mat, you can practice on in the grass. <laughs> you can practice anywhere that um, you can get grounded. Um, if you're looking for other things to purchase, yoga blocks are good accessories to have and it's helpful if you're going to buy them that you buy at least two. What the blocks do is bring the earth up to you. And so, um, for example, if I were to say, um, inhale your arms overhead and on your exhale, hinge at the hips, fold forward, that might look different for all three of us. And so if you're trying to get your hands to the ground or as close to the ground as possible, what the blocks do is bring the ground up to you. You don't have to go as far if you have back pain or tightness or if you just don't feel like it, right? And so that's another thing to keep in mind when it comes to practicing yoga. Like just because I did something physically challenging yesterday or this morning doesn't mean I want to do it today. Doesn't mean I have to do it today, right? So that's not what it's about. It's not performance art. It's whatever you need in the moment to, again, tap into that heart, mind, and body connection. For restorative yoga, I do recommend pillows, and blankets, so it don't have to be any particular like yoga brand or anything, you know, pillows and blankets from around the house to support your joints, to support the back of your head if you're looking to make a pillow or um, just things that support comfort. I personally like to ground any space that I'm working in um, with the element. And so if I'm practicing in my little yoga room that I have upstairs in my house, I'll make sure that I have a candle burning. I'll make sure that I have some incense for air. I always will have like a, a little like bowl of like fresh water. Um, and I, I keep a plant in my room. So I've got earth, I've got air, I've got fire, I've got water. For me, I find that grounding. And so if you tap into things that help you feel grounded, I think that helps center your practice and helps to bring your awareness um, using what you have to support your practice at home. But safety is key. So, you know, if you're trying out that blanket, maybe don't do it on a hardwood floor. You know, just be mindful that as you start to move and shift, your surface needs to be safe so that you don't injure or, or harm yourself. Perfect. Well, now I know what, <laughs> what resources I need to have. Because, no, like, I really think that, you know, yoga in general is something that is really dope. And I asked that question for myself as well, because I, I, I'm one of those people that I've had that thought like, well, I don't have a mat. I don't have this. I don't like, so I guess it's not for me, you know, and, and as you said, you know, it's for everybody. So that was extremely informative. And now I know. So when you know better, you do better. So <laughs> we will keep you updated on, you know, any yoga journeys that, that happen. Wonderful. <laughs> But uh, let me let me just take this time, you know, to really say thank you. You know, thank you for coming on our podcast and shedding your light and your expertise. Uh, it means a lot. 
and we greatly appreciate it because this is something that everyone needs. You know, we all need to be grounded. We all need to uh, prioritize self-care. And so I think that you were spot on with everything that you said. And for me and Paul, it's just always great to be able to learn more about, you know, something that we're not well-versed or educated on. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. But before we let you go, for anyone who's listening and they're like, yo, she's dope. I want to get in contact with her. <laughs> what, uh, what contact information, what social media information would you like to leave? So you can find me on Instagram at Courageous Space Yoga. And I'm going to stop procrastinating on my website and get that up and running. <laughs> and so that web address is CourageousSpaceYoga.com. Thank you. <laughs> Perfect. Well, to our lovely listeners, please take care of yourself. As you, as you heard from this episode, it's, do you have something else? Yes, before we close out, I wanted to see if I could lead just a brief meditation with y'all. Oh, please. Go right ahead. Okay. <laughs> okay, awesome. So um, you can find a seat that's comfortable. And as you begin to settle, let your eyes close or take a soft gaze. You can also keep your eyes open. So I invite you to just do whatever feels best for you, what allows you to feel grounded. And as we begin to settle in, I invite you to tune into your breath and to do so with a sense of acceptance, patience, and courage. So taking a deep inhale through your nose, Exhale the breath, sigh it out. One more deep inhale through your nose. Exhale the breath with an ah. And as you let your breath take its own natural pace, I invite you to just let go of anything that doesn't serve you in this moment. Meet yourself exactly where you are, as you are. And as we breathe together, we acknowledge that we do so for ourselves, for our families, for our community. We do so for our ancestors. We breathe for those who no longer can. Taking a deep inhale through the nose. Exhale the breath, let something go. And for the next few breaths, I invite you to just listen. If we pause and be still, we allow our bodies to tell us what we need to know. The body has something to say. The heart has something to say. The breath has something to say. There's a message waiting for you if you are willing to listen.
as you're ready, I invite you to bring your palms to touch at heart center or place your hands gently over your heart. We'll close this meditation out with one collective breath. Taking a deep inhale through the nose and just keep inhaling, keep inhaling, keep inhaling and pause. We take a moment here to acknowledge the stillness between the breaths. Exhale the breath, sigh it out. It's been an honor to share this space and this practice with you all this evening. The light in me sees and bows to the light in you. Ashe and Namaste. That was beautiful. I don't even have anything else to say. Listeners, till next time, peace and many blessings. Peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of Off the Clock. This episode was brought to you by The Accepted System. The Accepted System is a program that helps pre-physical therapy students get into physical therapy school without wasting time or money. Most pre-PT students go on to spend hundreds of dollars applying to multiple DPT programs, with the majority of them having less than 40% confidence that they will actually get accepted that cycle. You have been taught that regardless of all the work you put into applying, you really do not have much control over your acceptance into PT school. The truth is, you actually do. You can find help at www.preptgrindotc.com. This episode was also brought to you by Physio Memes. Physio Memes helps PT businesses to increase their referrals through word of mouth marketing by growing their brand with an online store. Physio Memes. Thank you for listening. Don't be shy to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. See you next episode.